0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brooks. Today, I'm joined by Francesco Amesbury. How are you doing, Francesco?
1: Buongiorno, Sam. I'm OK. I'm OK. Looking forward to the final.
0: Yeah, should be a great final. Um, of course, we're going to start off. Uh, at, at, once again, guys, you can hear my voice is still in bits, but uh, but we're going to give it a crack. Um, we're going to start off by looking back at the semifinals. Uh, of course, first up was Italy-Spain. Um, really tightly fought game Francesco um I actually put out after the game that I thought the best team of the tournament had made the final but the best team on the night had been knocked out is that a fair assessment do you think
1: I think that is probably fair yes I think I've heard a few people say similar sorts of things and yeah I I was really impressed with Spain um Definitely, their best performance of the tournament. I think uh, I I thought that Luis Enrique, you know, got it almost exactly right. I know they didn't go through, but he caused all sorts of problems with the formation he put out by playing a false nine. I, I thought that Danny Almo was a player who I had not seen play that much. Was he caused so many problems to italy? But but all of the Spanish team did. They kept the ball so well, and um yeah, he, it was. You have to say that they were unfortunate. They probably deserved a little bit more uh, based on the game against Italy. Um, you know, if you look at the whole tournament, they probably weren't haven't been as good as the Italians so far. But I think overall, you're probably right in what you say.
0: Yeah, it seemed, it seemed that Spain's midfield gave uh, Italy a lot of problems, didn't it? Particularly Pedri, who, you know, didn't misplace a pass in the first 90 minutes. It was It was quite an exceptional performance, from him. Um, could could Mancini have done anything different or was Spain just really good on the night? Maybe even surprised Italy a bit with how good they are, because as you said, they've been pretty inconsistent throughout the tournament.
1: I think, yeah, I think you're right. Surprised is the right word. I don't th- I thought Manc- I think Mancini was, was hoping and possibly expecting for it to be a much more even game in terms of uh, possession of the ball, I thought. He thought that in terms of uh, just having the ball, early would, would be able to match Spain, which, uh, you know, if you look at the, the games in the tournament so far, you can understand where he was coming from. I think that, that Luis Enrique playing a false nine, playing Daniel Alma in that position, was a masterstroke because it meant that Spain always had an extra man in midfield. Um, it also meant that I, I, I can't remember seeing Bonucci and Kellini. You know, being so confused by something because they didn't know whether to step out or just to stay back, um, especially in the first half. I think they saw it out a little bit more later in the game. But in in the first half, Spain were completely dominant in terms of possession and, and it caused a lot of confusion to the Italians who just weren't able to get to the ball. In terms of what Mancini could have done differently, I mean... I don't know. I don't know what I would have done myself. Um, I think you have to give him some credit in that, in the end, he made he made the changes to bring on some more kind of physical players, you know, Pessina uh, and Locatelli. And I think once that happened, then Italy did look more solid and Spain were a little bit less dominant in terms of possession. So... Yeah, I'm not really sure what else he could have done, kind of in the early phases of the game, and I don't, I because I don't think anyone was expecting to Spain to come out and play that well and, and play that way.
0: Yeah, I think uh, someone who really stood out for Italy again though was, was Federico Chiesa. Um, he seems to become this guy who who really scores important goals. We saw that in the tournament. We saw that for Juventus, of course, during the season in the Coppa Italia final as well. Do you think that you know looking ahead to the final, he's the player that Italy are going to look to to, you know, really unlock the England defence? Because, you know, we're seeing two of the best defences in the tournament coming up against each other. It may only come down to one goal. Do you think he's the guy that Italy are going to look to? Um,
1: I expect Kisa to start, but, I mean, if it was up to me, uh, I'm still in two minds about whether he should. Not not because of anything he's done. I think he's been excellent. But I I think that when you're playing against a team like England who are, are similar in ways to Belgium in, in terms of their athleticism I think in, England definitely have the edge over Italy in terms of how, of their athletic qualities and so maybe somewhere that Italy can have an edge is is keeping the ball a little bit better playing you know moving the ball quickly midfield and I'd say that in that kind of context um it's probably Berardi who has the skills to do that more than Chiesa. And the other thing I'd say about Berardi is he covers a little bit more, um, or, or certainly in this tournament, he, one of the things that stood out is how well he tracks back the opponent's fullback. Now, I think England's one of, one of England's most dangerous players tomorrow is probably going to be Luke Shaw. I think he's had a great tournament and coming running from deep, I think that could cause Italy problems. So maybe having a, a wide player who's going to do a, you know, who's going to, make sure he does his kind of defensive duty uh could be a good thing. Certainly start the game off. And then later on in the game, once players are tired, Chiesa has, you know, we ha- he has those attributes. He has that explosive speed where he can cause a lot of problems. So, yeah, I expect him to start, but, um, you know, I, I wouldn't be too surprised or even disappointed if if he did go, with be- if Marcini did go with Berardi tomorrow.
0: Yeah, Berardi looked uh, quite effective off the bench the other day against Spain as well. Um just just looking um, at, at Spain's equaliser, of course, they equalised through Morata, uh, who came off the bench. What did you make of Morata's performance? It was a bit of a weird one, hey. Eh? because he scored the goal. He then did one of the worst pieces of play of the tournament I've seen, where he just dribbled the ball out of play. I don't know what happened there. He seemed to forget how long the pitch was. And then, of course, he missed a decisive penalty. So it's a bit odd to make out how well he actually played in that game and in the whole tournament.
1: I I actually think Morata was really good against Italy. I I, I remember the you know the piece of play that you're referring to, and I you know I think that kind of thing happens. But overall, his play was excellent. I think he reacted extremely well to being left out, and uh, the goal he scored was also really good. I think. Um, and and you saw we saw all of his qualities you are right morata's a bit hit and miss isn't it isn't he we we see him in serie a and sometimes he looks like he's one of the best strikers in the world and other times it looks like he doesn't really know what he's doing and he has so much to offer because he's such a big physical presence he is really fast and uh you know he can finish as well the finish was excellent for his goal i mean in a penalty shootout, even the best players in the world, you know, as an Italian, I, I remember Roberto Baggio kicking the ball five metres over the goal in 1994 and everyone's missed penalties in penalty shootouts, and, you know, you can't really hold that against him too much. I, I actually think he had a really good game and, yeah, if he can replicate that form for Juve next season, you know, he's, he's going to do well.
0: Yes, something I'm always interested in, and this gets debated quite a bit between fans, is his body language of footballers. And I feel it's sometimes quite easier to root for a footballer if you can see how much it means to them. I I, you know, I don't want to jump on the bandwagon too much with Morata, but it just sometimes looks like he doesn't want to be there. And when he strode up to take that penalty, I never had confidence he was going to score it. Is, is that how you felt as well? Um. <clears throat> Well, that's
1: what I was hoping that was going to happen, Sam. Uh, But, uh, but I, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess in a way though, I don't mind the fact that having already missed a penalty in this tournament, he's, he's shown the courage to, to do it. Um, And, you know, obviously his teammates or, and his manager, whoever's making those decisions of who takes penalties believed in him. So yeah, I haven't got really got a problem with that. And in terms of the body language as well, I, I kind of see where you're coming from, but I also think, you know, he's, he's received some really pretty heavy kind of criticism, yeah. I think kind of unfairly. So all in all, I, I, you know, I think he's, he's maybe not had the best tournament ever, but he has scored a couple of great goals. He scored important goals. Um, and I, I think he's been okay and, and harshly criticized. So yeah, I, I'd I'd say it's been a it's been a solid tournament from Morata.
0: One other thing I wanted to um, actually there's a couple of things we'll, we'll touch on one thing first. What did you make of the whole um, Chiellini Jordi Alba thing uh, over the penalties? Uh, from what I understand they did one toss for choice of ends they did one toss for who takes penalties I always I find that a bit weird anyway because I think if you win both tosses that's a major advantage so I think that's a bit strange anyway but then you know Chiellini sort of how do you know it was like an older brother bullying a younger brother sort of thing what did you make of that yeah. situation?
1: Yeah I mean um, <laughs> it's classic Chiellini it's classic Chiellini I think he's He's uh, like we've been saying the whole tournament. He is he is street smart. He knows how to get his own way. I suppose it it almost seemed like he had called both heads and tails, and so it didn't really matter how the coin was landing. Uh, he was going to get choice on everything. But yeah, I mean, I suppose you can argue. Uh, I certainly, in the hindsight. Uh, enjoyed the fact that he did it. You know, it's, it's a positive thing that your captain is is kind of looking out for the team in a way. So, yeah, it, it is. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it in a way. Um, yeah, it was good.
0: Just one other thing I wanted to talk about, and this is actually a little bit something I wanted to get off my chest um, from the game. I d- It just really wound me up. Added time from the referee. Yeah. Um, you know, I, there were twi- twice he blew up right on, you know, the end of the half when Spain was sort of breaking. So I, I, I maybe felt a little bit sorry for them, but I understand it. But then in the second period of extra time, he blew up bang on 120, despite there being two substitutions and Eric Garcia going down for over a minute with cramp. Can you please try and explain to me what the hell all that is about? Because... I found it ridiculous. And I'm like, where are you rushing off to? Do you, do you need to get home quickly or something?
1: This is, um, this is something I have a real issue with the, the time wasting that happens and the way that time is added on uh, to the point that I think it is something that, you know, the the footballing authorities need to look at. Um, I, I but there's just too much time in matches, not not just in in this Euros, but all the time that is wasted by players and then not added on in the end. And it's, it, it never seems to make sense. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree with you that it's something that, that I think UEFA and FIFA need to look at.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously we're talking about time wasting in the, in, after the Belgium-Italy game and, you know, were, were Italy a little bit a, a little bit guilty of that? Um, I mean, this was nothing to do with them. This is just the referee deciding how much time to add on. Um, but particularly that second period of extra time, I thought that was absolute madness. So I, I was stunned when he blew up on the wall. That, that's a bugbear of mine. So I, I had to get it off my chest um thanks for listening everyone um and then we're going to talk about the second semi-final because of course Italy are going to be playing England who beat Denmark 2-1 after extra time um some contentious refereeing moments in this one let's start with Denmark's first goal because to me it looked like quite a soft free kick given in the first place you see those jostling happening from set pieces anyway and then there's been this thing about should the free kick have been allowed to stand because the danish wall shifted across before the free kick was taken i don't know if you've seen all this what what did you make of that i mean it it would take a very bold referee i guess to say sorry damn Scott, you've just put one in the top corner from 25 yards but your wall wasn't correct so that's not going to count what, what what did you make of it
1: just, just before, just one more thing on the Italy game before we move on to England, Denmark. Yeah, sure. um, I, I just wanted to mention Di Lorenzo. I think for me, yeah. he was the best player against Spain. And um, coming into this tournament, uh, I, I wouldn't have had him in my starting eleven. He wasn't in the starting eleven. I mean, there's a chance I might have left him out of the squad altogether. And I have been so impressed with him. He's he's shown a real maturity, and he has. I think tremendous kind of physical attributes as well. He he looks like such a good and experienced fullback, considering he's he's fairly new to the Italian fold. And I, and I thought he was their best player against Spain. So I just wanted to mention that. Um, in regards to the to the Danish goal, I think I think you've already said it would probably be quite harsh for it to have been ruled out. Um, and yeah, I mean goals for those reasons are hardly ever ruled out the free kick as well uh, into you know the initial foul we we see them given all the time you know it's not necessarily a free kick that should be given but it happens so i i don't think at the time i didn't really think anything of it it all looked okay to me um i suppose that the the points you make you know on another on another time they, they might have ruled the goal out but um at the time, it didn't really occur to me that there was an issue, so I'd probably say it was it was okay that it stood.
0: Yeah, as I said, it would have been a very bold call from the referee to stop Damsgaard's celebration and say no, it doesn't count. Um, obviously, I think the bigger contentious issue was um, the the winning penalty. Well, of course, England missed the penalty, but then scored the rebound. Um, Sterling going down in the box. Um, there are a couple of things with this. I think first of all, there was another ball on the pitch. From my perspective, I didn't think it played a part, to be honest. I don't think the defender was getting confused as to which ball he was chasing. So I didn't have a problem with that part. Then, of course, there's the contention of did Sterling go to ground too easy? You know, which part are we looking at? We're we looking at the little lock, knock on his knee, or the bump into him just afterwards. What did you think? Did you think it was a penalty? Did you think it was an outright dive? Is it somewhere in the middle where there's a bit of contact but not enough for a penalty? What What did you think?
1: I think when it ha- when it happened, I hadn't even noticed the other ball. So I think the point you make is. It's fine. I mean, I, to the letter of the law, they should. I guess they should have stopped play, but I don't think you know anyone was confused by having that second ball near the corner flag there. Um, and when when he went down in the box, I thought that is a penalty, seeing it in real time. So I can understand why the referee gave it. With VAR, um, I don't really understand how he's come to that conclusion. It didn't seem like he took too much time to to look at it um, and yeah, right. It's unclear as to whether he's giving it for the, for kind of Mailer's foot going near uh, Sterling's shin. And if they've seen a contact there or if, if it's, I, I don't know who the other Danish player was, but if it's the nudge that he kind of gets from behind, but I don't think either contacts, you know, are a penalty. And I suppose I was a little surprised that VAR didn't overrule it. Um, but you know, we we've it's it's not I, you know it's not the worst decision we've seen by VAR this year. So yeah, it, it probably shouldn't have been a penalty. I think.
0: Yeah, I think, um, I was thinking, I was trying to put percentage on it. I was thinking probably eight times out of 10 that isn't given. Um, but w- it's, I think it's with these VAR thresholds. And I, I thought similar about the Belgian penalty given in the Italy game, where I thought if that wasn't given on the field, I don't think VAR would have overruled. And I think with this one, again, if it hadn't been given on the field, I don't think VAR would have said that's a definite penalty. But having looked at it again, and there does seem to be slight contact again. If that's enough to be a penalty, that's debatable. Um, you know, maybe VAR decided there isn't enough in this for us to say you've got this completely wrong. And to overall, do you think that's probably a fair assessment? I'm
1: guessing that what that's what they were thinking. Yeah, um, I think with the Belgian penalty, that. I mean, um, Lorenzo does, there's more of a contact. He is, yeah. you know, he, he does lean into him. Um, but you're probably right that if neither are given on the pitch, then, then VAR aren't going to intervene and say, you should be looking at this and giving a penalty.
0: Yeah, Um, we're going to move on from the the controversy. Um, And I just want your opinion on the game. It it seemed, from my perspective, it was a very, you know, quite tightly fought first hour. And then England just started to slowly seize control. You know, I don't think Denmark really had much, had a shot on goal really after the hour mark. And it it just seemed that England was slowly building momentum and, and in the end deserved the win. Is that how you saw it?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've just spoken about the penalty, whether it was, was or wasn't. But I think at that point in the game, England deserved to score. Um, I thought they had a really kind of good second half of the second half. And in extra time as well, they were pretty dominant. Um, I think at the beginning of the game, Denmark started well, but possibly also... England were a little bit nervous I don't know I, I might be getting that wrong it's, it's hard to know but but the Danes started really well and you're right for kind of an hour that it was it was pretty close I still think probably England edged it I also think that you really saw the strength in depth of the English squad compared to the Danish squad so um you know England brought on uh, Aston Villa's best player and they brought on Atletico Madrid's right back and they they brought on all these Premier League stars, and and Denmark had to bring on. You know, at some point they brought on a couple of players who'd just been playing in the Championship. I know they got promoted with Brentford this year, but and and you know, don't get me wrong, that's still a very high high quality level of football. But um, compared to the kind of strength and depth that England had, it's not the same. And I think once the Danes got tired and had to make those substitutions, the quality that England were bringing on probably did make the difference a little bit.
0: Yeah, it it did seem that you know, as you say, England were able to bring on the likes of Grealish and Foden and and Henderson for for experience in the middle of the park. So that did did seem to make quite a difference. Um, so in in a sec we're going to look ahead to to the Italy England game, but of course we have to, you know, look back on Denmark's tournament and what a you know amazing tournament it's been for them making the semi-finals after how the tournament started a couple of defeats plus of course the, the Christian Eriksen incident um, just sum up how, how well you feel they've done it and it, it's a really good side they've got there isn't it
1: Yeah I, I'm surprised by how good they are to be honest with you I think before the tournament a few people had kind of aim at them as, as dark horses um, but I wasn't expecting them to be this good, and you're right, especially after what happened in the first game, and not just that, especially after losing their first two games to get to the semi final and really give England a good game. And this is a good England team to give them a good game and and be very close to you know getting to a penalty shootout. Eh? Um, I think they've done really, really well, and um, it's a, sh- it's a shame, you know, we're thinking. Yeah, that uh, Ericsson, you know, we didn't see him kind of in the last stage of the tournament because, you know, he possibly would have given them something extra and maybe helped them get even further. Who knows?
0: Yeah, quite, quite possibly. Um, I, th- I think Christian Ericsson might be coming to the final on Sunday, actually. I might have read that Um you know, that'd be lovely. Uh, We'll we'll see if if he is there. Um, But now we'll we'll look ahead to that final. It's going to be Italy-England. I think quite a few people are quite happy that that's the final. It's going to be some occasion at Wembley. Um, Looking at the Italy team, you, you were saying that you thought Chiesa would start. So does that mean you think Mancini will go with an unchanged lineup, or are there any, you know, small tinkerings that he might be thinking about?
1: I think he is going to go with the same team. I think there are a couple of things that I've heard this week, not not from the Italy camp, but kind of people suggesting alternatives. So there's been a few question marks about Immobile's form in the last couple of games. I actually think he's he's done okay. There were a couple of moments when it was a bit frustrating against Spain where he wasn't holding the ball up. But um, I do expect him to start, and I expect uh, I expect all of the players who started against Spain to start against England, the only question marks, I suppose, are Berardi, if he comes back in, just to change things up. But we've already said how how well Kies has been doing. And the other thing I've heard, which I think is actually quite a good idea, and I, I don't think this is going to happen, but is that Italy um, kind of do a similar thing to what Spain did in the semi-final and play with a false nine. So they take Immobile out and play someone like Bernardeschi, for example, as centre-forward. Um, like Bernardeschi's not had the best season, but Mancini has a lot of faith in him and his, one of his best performances for Italy and possibly of his entire career for me was when he actually played center forward for them against Poland in a a nation's league game a couple of years ago. Italy played really well that day that, and it was kind of the seminal moment in this Mancini side. It was when they first started to play this kind of expansive uh, football based on possession. It was that day against Poland when, when, and, uh, And um, Bernardeschi was such an integral part of that, playing as centre forward. And I think, you know, one of the, I don't want to say weakness, because we're talking about relative terms, because I think this is a really strong England team. But one of the places maybe that you can cause England some problems is in their central defensive partnership. I think Maguire and Stones have had a really great tournament. But possibly if you don't give them that point of reference, if you don't give them a centre-forward to play against in a similar way to what Spain did against Italy, you could cause them some problems. And you're also putting in another very technically um, skilled player who can help you keep the ball, which is also another area where Italy might have a little edge over England, possibly. So I think it's to play with a false nine, to play Berendrescu instead of Imabula, might not be bad uh, such a bad idea but having said that I'd be very surprised if, if Mancini changes things going into the final
0: yeah it does seem he's, he's got quite a settled idea of how he how he wants the side to shape up um actually just looking at things from the opposite perspective we saw in the semi-final that, that as you said benucci and Chiellini had problems with Danny Olmo dropping deep. We saw Harry Kane doing that really effectively in the semi final against Denmark. You know, he he had a major role in the first goal, and he just kept dropping into those pockets of spaces. And you know, I think he had his best game of the tournament for England personally. And and of course, we saw Sterling on the wing as well. Both those two caused so many problems. Is that something that Italy have to be really wary of um, with Kane dropping deeper? And if he does drop deeper, should one of Chiellini or Bonucci go with him and, and make quite a decisive decision where they were a bit hesitant on Tuesday night against Spain?
1: I think you're right that that is, that is an area where um, potentially England could have some joy. If he does drop off deep, we saw against Spain how both Bonucci and Chiellini struggled a bit when Daniel Omar was doing that. But I do think that Kane is more of a striker than Daniel Almo and they know that he's, they, they will know, Bono Cinchilini will know that he's he is their responsibility. So I don't know if that will mean that they'll be more, uh, you know, happy to to follow him out in a similar way to they did with Lukaku. I know they played differently. Lukaku probably stays further forward. But um, but yeah, you're right that that is an area where, where England possibly could cause Italy some problems.
0: Yeah, I think that that battle between Kane and Benu- uh, Kane and Chiellini. Sorry, I think people are really looking forward to that. Um, I don't know if you remember the Chiellini quote after Juventus knocked out Tottenham a few years back in the Champions League, where he said that, that you know this is the history of Tottenham. Um, I wonder, you know, in terms of oh they they seem to choke at the last minute and stuff. I imagine Kane won't have forgotten that. So do, do you think that's going to be a really intriguing battle between those two?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean on paper definitely um i th- i kellini's you know he's such a he he tends to to rise to these occasions or, or at least relish them he he doesn't shy away from them and and kane is you know for me he's one of the best strikers in the world right now so it is it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out
0: yeah, but one other battle I've been having to think about is we've seen Jorginho has been <clears throat> one of Italy's best players. I think with Solar injured, possibly he's been their best player of the tournament that's still available um, <clears throat> coming into this final. He will probably be up against Mason Mount in the number 10 role for England. Do you think that could be a really key battle in terms of maybe when Italy are in possession, Mount could be sort of putting quite a bit of pressure on Jorginho because of how well they know each other at club level. you know. How do you sort of see that battle playing out? Do you think this will be a massive test of exactly how good Jorginho is?
1: I imagine that that is what Southgate will be doing. He'll be he'll be getting Mason Mount to, to press Jorginho when it's at possession. Um, I'd be surprised if that wasn't the case. And um, I think for Italy, that is going to be the most important area of the pitch, um, kind of central midfield if they can if they can get hold of the ball and keep it moving kind of and play around the England players in, in a similar way to they did they did against Belgium, that is probably where they could have a little edge. So the, the, you know the battle you've described between Mount and Georgino you know, probably is, is going to be an important one.
0: And then um, so one more battle I want to talk about is, uh, you know, we're going to have Emerson Palmieri playing at left-back for Italy, probably. I think in terms of who he's going to be up against, that's probably the only talking point for England. I think the rest of the team is settled. But on that right-hand side, you could have Saka, you could have Sancho, you could have Foden. It's probably out of those three. Who do you think Emerson Palmieri would Prefer to go up against, and who do you think could could cause him the most problems for England?
1: I mean, that is a really good and difficult question. I um, because those three players that you described, they they you know they bring something different. I think in terms of out and out speed, you're probably talking about Saka, and he he's obviously he had a I think he had a great um, semi final. He got the assist for the for the first goal and. If you know if Kane is is going to be dropping off, he's probably the guy who can exploit that that space in behind in behind the best. Um, but in terms of kind of the, in, the more difficult positions in terms of marking someone, it's probably the other two guys who are going to offer more. Uh, so I don't know. I. Maybe Palmieri would would because I, I think Palmieri's not slow. He's a he's a decent athlete, and so maybe he wouldn't mind the matchup against uh, Saka. But yeah, I mean, all three of those players are potentially extremely dangerous. So I'm not sure he'd have a, a preference. Um, I suppose you could you could say as well because one of the things that I think is going to be important we've said it through the whole tournament is Etty like to build a lot of play on that left hand side and, and the overlapping fullback, the involvement of the fullback is really important. So. If he can play against a player who maybe has less quality defensively, and maybe that would be um, Foden or Sancho, I think Saka with his athleticism is probably going to be able to track back a little bit more effectively. Maybe that would suit Emerson a little bit more in terms of getting them to, to you know, to, to defend more. But um, yeah, I, I, <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be potentially a very difficult for evening uh, evening for him, you know, because all three of those players are, are really good.
0: Yeah, as you say, and and Saka's got experience playing as a wing back and a full back for Arsenal as well. So, as you say, he's probably the best defensively of, of the three for England. Um, but yeah, going to be. Are, are there any other matchups that you're, you know, on the pitch that you're looking forward to? I think everyone's really intrigued by the midfield battle because you know Italy was slightly well. I think they were quite comprehensively outgunned in the midfield on Tuesday, but that was because of that extra man for Spain. Do you expect them to sort of assert their authority a bit a bit more in this match?
1: I think that is that is where they could have an edge, um, and and probably if if they're going to win, that's that's where they need to have an edge. Um, and it's not... Uh, just because of the types of players that England have in the midfield, they're different to, to what Spain have. Um, you know, they're probably... Uh, whilst Rice and and Phillips have done... Uh, they, they do use the ball well, they're probably not going to dominate possession in the same way that the Spanish midfield did. And um, I suppose the hope for Italy is that they can get hold of the ball and kind of and keep it more than England can. Um, <clears throat> I think the other... Th- the other big question mark is, is probably because for me, Sterling is definitely been England's best player by, by some distance. Um, and it's, I'd imagine that kind of keeping him quiet is going to be D'Lorent Lorenzo's job. Um, and that's going to be interesting. If he can, if he can cope with the, uh, with dealing with Sterling, then that's probably going to be important for Italy as well. One of the things yeah, I was going absolutely. to ask you, Sam is, yep. is, uh, you know, just, just thinking about that. If, you know, if, if, you ha- if you're obviously an England fan, I'm obviously supporting Italy, and I was just wondering which players we would t- take out of the opposition's team to make life easier. I mean, I know everyone says you want to play against the best players, but if, if it was just about winning the game, who would you remove from Italy's team?
0: Um... Well, I I think I think as you said, the midfield, I think on paper, Italy's midfield is is a bit stronger than England's. Um and I'll, that's why I mentioned the Jorginho mount battle, because I think Jorginho is going to be crucial in this game. Um I think if there is one criticism of Jorginho, it's his sort of spatial awareness when defending and not necessarily knowing who's around him. And that's why, although I think he, he could be really effective in terms of Italy's build-up play, England might be able to exploit him with the likes of Kane and Mount dropping in, you know, sort of either side of him. That could be problem. So I think giorgino is going to be a really important player. Kane up against Bellucci and Chiellini is, is a mouthwatering prospect. Um, I think Chiellini is so important to this Italy team. Um, and I, I think just the first sort of couple of battles between Kane and Chiellini will give us a good idea of how that's going to go. Um, and and then I think Italy's wide players, Chiesa and Insigne, I think I'm, I'm still expecting more from Insigne. I think he's only really had one good game this tournament against Belgium with moments in other games but I'm still expecting a bit more so that's something to worry about from an England perspective that he could produce that moment in the final and then you have Chiesa who is a bit of um you know he just brings sort of raw pace he has no fearlessness keeps running at his man all all evening um and and that could could be a problem for England so yeah I think Italy can cause England problems all over the pitch um I'm interested to see how Pickwood looks in this game, because having had a really strong start to the tournament, he, under the radar, he didn't do great against Ukraine, and he definitely didn't do great against Denmark. So that is a slight worry for England. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. I think, and if, so if you had to take one player away?
0: One player away. Um Jorginho, probably. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Giorginio. I can
1: see. I can see why you might come to that conclusion. I think for England, um, I, I think I've already said it. Basically, Sterling has been so good, and he seems so confident. Uh, and I think in all of their games, really, he seems to be the one that's, that's making things happen. So he'd probably be the obvious choice. The other ones for me are the fullbacks. I think that Kyle Walker is probably England's best defender I think he's a very complete player and the fact that he is also defending that that right hand side ring and the left hand side for Italy which is where a lot of Italy's attacks build up I think he's going to be important and you know he'd be one one on my list to take away and I think Luke Shaw as I said already has had a great tournament and running overlapping runs from deep potentially could cause Italy some problems so those would be the kind of three but but like you say there's I think this is a really good England pitch, so yeah, there's going to be a lot of interesting battles and a lot of places I think where where you know Italy are going to have to be careful.
0: Yeah, I think the thing with Sterling is that confidence is such an important thing for him. I think I think when you watch him and you can see that he's not in great form and he's low on confidence it can quite often look like he's he's not going to beat his man at all. In this tournament, with him so high on confidence, it seems like he's always going to beat his man. So it's a, it's a massive turnaround. Um, I think Walker actually plays quite a similar role to DiLorenzo in, in in their respective teams in terms of tucking into a sort of back three to allow the fullback to push on. And, and relying on his pace to cover the two centre-backs if there's a ball that goes over the top. We saw that a couple of times in the Denmark game. So, so as you said, that, that will be really interesting to see um, him sort of match up against Insigne. Um, but, yeah, I think just finishing up then, looking ahead to the final, would you say England are slight favourites because of the home advantage? Um, I think yeah you
1: are probably right. They are slight favourites and home advantages for England at least it seems to be a big deal if you if you look at when they've done really well in tournaments their best performances have always been when they've been at home um but I do think it's a a very difficult game to call i think you know in in your head there are many ways it could play out but um and and that would be in both in both directions so I Think it's a it's pretty much a 50 50 game. I think it will probably be whoever plays best on the night, but as you say, the home advantage could be important for England, so yeah, probably just slight favourites.
0: And and so, how are you feeling going going into this game? Um, I know that you know, sort of the, the Belgium game, you sort of mentioned this how you thought that was a better matchup for Italy than Spain, and you think that. England are closer to Belgium than Spain. Is that how you see it? So maybe th- this isn't the worst matchup for Italy. Is that fair to say?
1: I think, yeah, you're probably right. In terms of matchup, I think that playing against England is probably easier than Spain on paper. You don't know how, how these things are going to uh, going to pan out, but I, I doubt that England will dominate the ball as much as they did against Spain just because they don't play that way. They're a bit more direct and... But having said that, I think there's a strong argument to say for both of these sides that this is going to be their toughest, the, the, the toughest opponent that they've played so far. I don't know if you agree, Sam, but I'd, I'd say that right now England's probably his toughest game so far has been against Germany, which they did very well in, but it was quite an even game. Um, I'd say that this Italy side is probably a little bit better than the current German side. And yeah, in, you know, Italy have played Spain and, and Belgium. You'd probably say that right now this England team is... It's probably a little bit better than those two sides. So, yeah, it's going to be the toughest test probably so far for both of the sides in the tournament. And, um, but yeah, in terms of matchup, I think that at least on paper and theory, it might be easier for Italy to play the kind of football that they'd like to play, which which turned out to be very difficult against Spain.
0: Yeah, I think uh, as as you say, this will be England's toughest game. I think I think Italy are, um, you know, certainly over the last couple of years have shown they're currently a better top, a, a better side than Germany. Um, I don't think there's much in it between Germany and, and Denmark, to be honest. I think they're both quite a similar level right now, um, but yeah, Italy Italy is another step up from that. Um, so I, I know you hate predictions. Um are, are, are you sort of thinking this could go to extra time and even penalties? Is it fair to ask you that?
1: Um I mean, I don't even, I I hope it doesn't because I don't think I could cope with it, Sam. <laughs> the, the, I mean, the game of Spain, it was it was basically just three hours of torture. <laughs> oh, horrible way to spend at the evening. It was okay in the end, but only in the end.
0: Oh I mean, it was such a high quality game though. Um you know, I, I wanted Italy to win, but of course I was a little more neutral than being like an outright Italy fan, I suppose. And from that perspective, I I got to really enjoy, you know, just how high quality the standard of play was. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a fascinating one. I won't ask you for a prediction because I know that's torture for you. Um, enjoy the game on Sunday and we will do a review of the final if, if we're up to it. Um in the in the sort of few days afterwards, so so enjoy the game Sunday, everyone that goes to you as well. Hope everyone really enjoys the game and thank you for listening. And we'll speak to you soon. Bye bye.